be soaking in and let it marinate. It's time to hustle, gotta muscle up and run through barricades. Yeah. You're listening to Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. Today's topic is a biblical critique of evangelical celebrity. Let's get into the discussion. So, uh, second episode, we made it through our first one. <laughs> so, second episode, uh, we're just going to firstly just kind of touch on uh, a little something that we forgot to touch on last time, and that is uh, for the Biblical Christ Research, Research Institute that we would have uh, some Zoom classes. We actually have a grid of classes set up. Um, for each of the guys, uh, Duran, myself, um, Eric, Mike, and, and Matt, and we all have certain classes that we would like to, or courses, whatever you want to call it, that we would like to teach. And so, uh, slowly but surely, we'll get that going. <clears throat> and as Duran said last week, our our everything that we offer is free of charge. Um, we're not. We're not in the business of trying to get over on people as many in, in modern evangelicalism do. <clears throat> I mean, I, I understand the fact people got to, people got to eat. I get that, especially if that's all they do, but you know, so, some of the things that go on, which we touched on last week, like the conferences are like highway robbery. So <clears throat> we're, we're just not going that route. Cause we're not, that's not our intent. We're not looking to do this for the purpose of getting some extra profit out of it. We're just looking to try to help the people of God understand the word of God as they should. And so we're going to be offering these classes. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll at least get one or two up maybe. Um, and like <clears throat> Duran said, we'll also still be, uh, writing, I don't think you mentioned concordances either. I mean, not concordances, commentaries. Um, we'll also be uh, writing some commentaries. I know Duran and I are uh, working on First Corinthians. Um, can't remember some of the other ones. I think John was one of them. I think. Yeah, uh, John, Ephesians. Ephesians, okay. There's, yeah, quite a few of them. So yeah, we got a lot of things coming down the pipeline. I mean, we've been we've been going strong for what a couple of years now. We just haven't. Yeah. We've just been mostly writing articles. We haven't uh, particularly uh, gotten into a formal idea because we all have like really busy schedules. I Absolutely. mean, all of yeah. us are like constantly grinding. But I just felt like we needed to get to the point like, all right, we just need to pull the trigger and, and do something. So the the podcast is our 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 main deal right now to try to get get the word out about the biblical Christ. Research Institute and also about the the, the Word of God, the, the the subjects and the issues that come up within the Word of God and, and within culture and within society. So we'll be talking about a wide range of things. Um, we'll be talking about systematic theology. Like we'll have, uh, we just talked about our brother Eric is going to come on. He's going to talk about you know trichotomy versus dichotomy. You know uh, the the biblical makeup of man. You know, is man three parts or is he two parts? We'll be talking about that. Um, I know I haven't talked to Duran about this yet, but 
the next time we meet, we're going to start on black liberation theology. So <laughs> that's going to be that's another, exciting. yeah, it's going to be another good one that we're going to try to get up on the podcast. So we, we got a lot. We'll be talking about systematic theology, biblical theology, historical theology, uh, current issues. We just, wherever the spirit leads us, that's, that's where we'll go. I know Duran will say wherever the spirit leads you, cause you're the one running the, <laughs> the podcast. But yeah, I mean, if these, if, if these guys want to talk about something, I, I have no issue with that. Cause I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be sound. I know it's going to be rich. I know it's going to be a blessing too. To people, so you know, I got my boy Duran on with me again today. I'm the host, of course. He's absolutely. He's the. Uh, I'm just here to help. <laughs> he's, to the, help. <laughs> he's the. He's the commentator. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I I basically just kind of bring bring the issues at hand and give a general sum, summary, and then I just kind of wind him up and let him go. So. <laughs> that's what we'll be doing uh, today. Of course, I'll interrupt from time to time, asking you know certain questions or piggyback off of some of the things that he says. But I know my brother has a lot to say, so I would I would prefer to to bow out and give him the floor for for the majority of it. But <laughs> but we'll just go ahead and get into it now. So uh, so last week we touched on evangelical celebrity and how it affects the body of Christ, how it's unbiblical, how it should not be done. We talked about the reasons why it, it should not be uh, practiced. Um, but we came from an angle of just our, our thoughts about it, which is fine. Um, but ultimately, we always want to go back to the Word of God to see what the Word of God says about the issues that we deal with. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> in this particular case, so today we decided we were going to talk about uh, a biblical critique of evangelical culture or evangelical celebrity. Because um, I think it's important that you hear from the word of God itself and not, not just from us, but hear from the word of God itself, which has authority over all believers um, about the issues that arise when evangelical celebrity is allowed to just run rampant in uh, modern evangelicalism or Christianity as a whole and the damage that it can do uh, to the body of Christ. So <clears throat> I have a list of passages um, that my brother uh, texted me. So we're just going to, for the rest of the time, we're just going to go through these passages and uh I don't know if you want to read, read, read the, so what you can do is just like read the certain pericope that you want to talk about. Sure. And then sure. just go into explaining or walking through it or however you want to do that. Absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely appreciate, uh, you know, just how, as you said, we express certain thoughts about, it, especially as it related to how the doctrinal triage functions. And um, it's, as you said, we have to, come to the place where, well, what does the word of God say um, concerning this issue? The issue being uh, evangelical celebrity and how, uh, how it has run rampant. Uh, I don't believe that the Bible is silent uh, on that issue of uh, men being exalted beyond 
uh, the measure of grace that God has given and appointed to every man uh, to serve him uh, with their reasonable service. Uh, so I, I did want to focus on first um, first Corinthians chapter one, and these are in no specific order. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if you study one, you know, primarily, and then, you know, you go to a different uh, reference, then somehow you'll arrive at a more clear picture. I think you can look at all these passages in their own uh, context and the overall New Testament context and come to certain conclusions about how we ought to regard men uh, with whom we serve, uh, but also how we ought to regard God uh, above all men. And so, uh, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to look at first Corinthians one and I'll read from, I'll read from chapter, uh, chapter one, all the way down, uh, from verse one, all the way down to 17, uh, cha- uh, verse 17 of chapter one. And I'm reading from the new American standard Bible, but I'll read, uh, I'll read those verses. Uh, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of the of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then this is where he is about to get into the issue. He's about to get into the matter at hand. Now, the one that has even provoked us to discuss what we're discussing today uh, by its application. Verse 10, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. And then the chapter continues. And the one immediate thing I want to say about this text is, one, it is a conflict that Paul addresses continually throughout the epistle of Corinth. Uh, of Corinthians to the Corinth, uh, to the church in Corinth, but also it appears again in chapter three, where he deals with some of the uh, consequences and repercussions of this kind of uh, this kind of schism or division that was brought because individuals are trying to hide in other men. Uh, but the way in which he appeals to the unity of the faith is one that it's based on a con uh, a consistent uh, consistent um, corpus of sound doctrine and that unity is also 
uh, tantamount to growing in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus. And so there's a very intimate and personal way in which individuals ought to not only express their faith in Christ, but ought to live out their faith in Christ. And it has nothing at all to do with attachment uh, to individuals for its own sake. It's always based on what one has learned uh, by God's spirit and then by the measure of grace given by God for all to learn and then preserve and uphold that which has been learned. So mm-hmm. I wanted to start there because that's where Paul starts. And But as, as, as he deals with this, this division that has taken place, it is such a division that has taken place in the sense that it reached uh, Chloe and her people. And Chloe would have been a prominent individual in the society as such uh, that, uh, that individuals reported to her what was being said. But also in the sense that it was made to appear as though the men here disagreed. And all three of them were certainly what we would refer to as godly men, Christ himself being the son of God, the second person of the divine trinity. But the three men that are mentioned are in agreement with Christ as well. And so it was the appearance given that these individuals somehow were going to be the heads of factions that uh, would promote a certain holiness uh, beyond, uh, beyond the expectation of the individuals who would have joined themselves to Christ. And the one in which uh, the way in which Christ is used actually seems to be uh, used in such a way so as to, to promote that to belong to that faction was greater than to belong to the other factions. Right. So it's the illusion that factions actually existed, but then the hide in the men as though they themselves were the founders and creators of the faction. And so, uh, you know, this is this is not the first case of so-called celebrity in the old age, in the old age, in the old day. But it is certainly the most prominent one that comes up because Paul spends all of uh, the epistle dealing with, along with many other issues, this very conflict. Uh, So much so that the conflict rages to the point where super apostles, false teachers come in and begin to try to actually establish factions behind them because the people's hearts were geared toward factions. And so there was that very real danger of if you do not worship Christ alone, and if you do not hold the convictions because the Spirit of God has given them to you, then you will inevitably not only hide in men, uh, even if those men are sound, you'll also be tempted to hide in individuals who are not so sound, but yet very charismatic and very influential. And so that's what takes place throughout the course of the entire letter. Um, uh, just to, real quick, <clears throat> yeah. um, to jump in here now when uh, uh verse 12 it says now i mean this i had to switch to my schofield because <coughs> yeah. it's new american standard so i wanted to be oh, okay. okay my other one was esv so he says now i mean this that each one of you is saying i am of paul and i of apollos and i of cephas and i of christ um uh now i remember when i when i preached through this um talking about uh playing favorites um the in the greek it actually uh translates to like following like in the sense of being loyal to a particular person would you would you say that uh that is what the text is saying that's talking about loyalty Absolutely. I would say both loyalty and identification um, to the point where 
you know, just as the Bible teaches to be hidden in Christ, it would be that you're so attached to these individuals. Um, so it includes mm-hmm. loyalty, but even goes a bit further that you are now identified with them. Um, and which is why Paul brings in uh, baptism as as he brings it in, because that is a symbol of identification uh, into the body of Christ. And what these individuals were doing, these people who were causing this division, where they were placing their identification, their identity in these individuals. So it, it's certainly about uh, amassing a following, but it's mm-hmm. about amassing a following that uh, that really the individuals begin to hide in your person and they begin to worship your person and identify so much that they begin to exclude even those uh, who may be just as sound as the person that you're trying to hide in. Um, mm-hmm. So we haven't even dealt in this text with uh, the sense in which there's a wickedness brewing where, you know, these false teachers are going to come and people are following after them. These are individuals who know, love and honor Christ and they even bring Christ's name into it. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it's given the appearance that, that even if you were of the Christ faction, then you would certainly not be of the Peter, uh, Apollos and Paul faction. Mm-hmm. And so, but the point is there are no factions because all the individuals are, are, uh, are related to one another in Christ. Uh, those who are used in this passage. Right. So, so, so would you say that, that there's, uh, you're talking about creating factions basically. Uh, so would you say that there is a, a, a sense of triumphalism involved here, where as one party is being superior to the other and there's like not just triumphalism, but like condescension in the sense of like, if you're not part of Paul's party, then you're you're missing out. You don't know what you're missing. This because Paul is better than Apollos, or is better than Cephas. Would would you say that those two things are are part of it? Absolutely, and I think that that is not only implicit in the text. I think it is also explicit. And the reason is Paul actually draws from himself when he asks the question. He asks in verse thirteen, "Has Christ been divided?" And then he starts to deal with himself as influential as he actually was and is during this time from the vantage point of our text. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He doesn't even begin to discuss uh, Cephas, who was Peter, uh, and Apollos. He begins to deal with the fact of, well, how you regard me, in essence, is how you're, how you're misappropriating your relationship with these other individuals, uh, even so that you're dividing Christ mm-hmm. as if Christ somehow, um, like you said, is, a, is, is a partial to one man over the other, the implication being partial to Paul over all the others. Yeah. And so I believe that as you, you know, as you read the text and, and, and as you look at verse 12 and the question that you're asking is a very good one, but when you look at it, it's almost like Paul is the faction to which you need to belong. But then there were individuals who said, well, we're, we're of Christ. And right. So us being from Christ, we're, you know, we're, we're, we've got our bases covered. <laughs> and and it, it is a certain condescension and dismissiveness of the totality of God's work where he sets men free from these very things that these people are, are uh, promoting. And so I believe that's also why he says what he says in verse 17, that the manner in which these factions were being established was on the basis of eloquence, on the basis of appearance, um, all the things that would void and nullify uh, the actual folly of the preaching of the cross. 
uh, in the eyes of the world. And so Paul is saying those are not measure, um, measurable standards for identifying with individuals at all, because all Christians are considered to be the fools of this world. So, uh, so obviously that's his, that's his way. And he deals with that actually in the verses that follow, but uh, absolutely. I think there is a sense in which there's a condescension and you see that today. You see that if you belong to this group, uh, if you belong to this celebrity leader, then somehow that heightens your spiritual clout among the people. Yeah, or, or you could even take that, just don't even, you could take it to a local church that has like multiple pastors. Absolutely. And that, but you know about this, Absolutely. like in a, in a, I, I used to hear this a lot in the black church and you know, you, 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 yeah. you were, you were Pentecostal, charismatic, yeah, word of faith that, too. Yeah. So that yeah, I, I, I used to hear that in the, you know, let's say, okay, well, who's preaching this Sunday? Well, Duran's preaching. Oh, psh, I'm staying home because <laughs> yeah. I prefer, yeah. I prefer Chris. Chris just does blah, 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 such and such better. Yep. Yep. You know, I like the way he presents. I like him, is yeah. what they say. I like yeah. him. Yeah, I, I like the way he presents it. He puts it in a way where Deron's yep. just like really mean and harsh and, or yep. whatever. You know, yep. just pick, you know, and everybody has their reasons why. And, and it, it's not even just the preachers. It's like the choirs. Right. You know, like. Yeah. Oh, the the older the older mass choir singing today. The the old folks. Oh, I don't want to hear them because they sing all those. Yeah, you know, I want to hear some Kirk Franklin or something. You know. Yep. I'm waiting for the the youth. Right. It's 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 preference. But yes. this, and I don't necessarily have an issue per se with preference. But when preference is driving you away from the people of God, then yeah, right. I have I have a problem with that. Right. Because, yeah, because inevitably, even if you prefer, like, there there are individuals who know and love and honor the Lord Jesus Christ that I prefer to listen to. However, mm-hmm. that does not mean that I will only grant them a hearing. Right. And that I will dismiss those who are uh, lesser known, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And And these days, I'm only listening to individuals who are lesser known, but uh, but I will not give them a hearing because I simply do not want to identify with them because the faction uh, does not necessarily promote me uh, being disloyal to that particular individual. Mm-hmm. But then you have those even in the um, kind of in what you're mentioning, you have those who would dismiss it all and say almost condescendingly, well, I'm from God. I'm with God. But but they're not sound in the faith. They don't study the scripture. They're not praying for the saints. They don't love one another as they are. They, it's all these things about them uh, that they would make that statement to detach themselves from it and identify with other issues that have nothing to do with scripture, mm-hmm. uh, but begin to go down the catalog and say, I, I, I don't like these individuals um, because I'm, I'm from God. But then they begin to wax eloquent about, you know, social issues and all these other things that, you know, quite honestly, without a biblical worldview, they mean they mean nothing. They're useless. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, are you good with that passage? No, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm good with that passage. I, w- I would like to look at First Corinthians three. I would like to look at that because it comes up again. Okay. It comes up again. And and it comes up again because because essentially it never left. <laughs> and and so the issue at hand is that you have a very fleshly way where individuals do not understand their position in Christ. And so that leads to, again, identifying 
with men. And I'll get into what's driving all this. Remind me to do that. But uh, in verse uh, in verse one of chapter three of First Corinthians, he says, "And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as the men of flesh, as the infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food." If we stop there, most of today's faction leaders would say, "Only give them milk. Mm. Only give them milk." We're not realizing that. You can't deprive people by only giving them milk. Milk is the entry point into a nutritious diet. You must give them solid food. And that's what Paul's saying in verse two, not solid food. He couldn't give them that. For you were not ready to receive, you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is what? Look at the effect of the factions. And I tell you, this is what is happening today. It's one thing to identify, but we have to identify the fact. Uh, the effect of this, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus. I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? He's helping, he's helping them understand what I, what I like to call a biblical anthropology, study of man from the biblical perspective. Who are we as men? And he says, and what is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Paulus watered, but look at this. But God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. And then he goes into that and the picture of how that looks in, uh, in the church. But again, the, the issue is that these men were not receiving honor they were receiving worship and they were in a sense, when I say receiving it, they were certainly deflecting it because Paul's writing here, but they were the recipients of that. And so Paul's making the case that this, these things ought not to be so. Right. They weren't, they weren't actively self promoting like exactly Exactly. pastors and preachers of modern evangelicalism do. Exactly. And so, and so there is the sense in which it would be quite foolish if you think about it this way to worship, servants (laughs) at the expense of worshiping the one whom they serve the king you know they're servants of the king and you're busy worshiping the servants and so that was that was the issue and you saw the effects of it was that jealousy and strife you know typically what i have seen in the um you know i've paid very close attention to modern evangelicalism's affinity for personality cults Mm -hmm. and you'll see that people typically take on the personality of the people they're hiding in this is true so you know, if an individual is, you know, for lack of a better word, if he's a jerk to people, but yet he's a modern evangelical personality, the people around him are going to act as he does. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even their vocal patterns and their vocal inflections, like they lose right. a sense of their own ability to be the person God has made them to be uh, in the new birth. Uh, but they, and, and if a person is fiending humility, then you'll have people around him be soft spoken. It's kind of this identification with uh the individual where you're hiding in him it you know it's like you said it's loyalty uh it includes that but it certainly goes beyond that um Mm -hmm. and and that's what was happening here but but the issue at hand was that it was causing strife and jealousy and people were living in the flesh and they could not move on to the divine realities of scripture the solid food that would nourish their souls they could only be uh, partakers of milk 
And so it was stunning their own growth because they would not detach themselves from the slavery of other men uh, in their minds. Mind you, this is the case among people who, uh, who took on this mindset and Paul, Peter, and Apollos, and certainly not Christ, or certainly, as we mentioned, Christ, they weren't the ones driving this. Mm-hmm. The people were driving this. So right. you see that the heart is, uh, has an affection for idolatry. Uh, beyond anything, it needs to be uh, the war against sin in one's own members needs to be the active fight against this very tendency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 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 not only that, you know, somehow uh, Paul would have been vindicated if he let this continue, and yet didn't one way or the other say that he had an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul spoke out against it because to worship him on any level was to deprive God of his worship on every level. And so that was the issue at hand for Paul to address it as he did. And and this one, you see that the faction actually graduated a little bit. Apollos' faction uh, became the prominent one along with Paul. And so so you see what happens there. This this whole thing gathered momentum to the point where um, where these, these, uh, they were, you know, there was the delusion that somehow these men ought to be uh, ought to be celebrities and famous for their work for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Paul is saying, we're servants. If you want to, if, if you, if you want to worship and if you really want to offer a claim, turn all of that, direct all of that toward the King of glory, direct it all toward him because he's the one that does what he does. And I like how he ties that to salvation because that's where it all starts. That no man is responsible in the, in the, in the sense in which it's, it's, it's read here. No man's responsible for your salvation. There's people who walk with you in the Lord and encourage you and strengthen you. Mm. But Jesus Christ saves and the Holy Spirit seals. And the work of the cross is what redeems, not men. Not men, not their eloquence, not their uh, their cleverly devised ministries. Um, and even if a ministry is true, it has a sanctifying element to it, but it certainly doesn't have a saving element to it as one who would save you as God does. Uh, so, um, that was the this phrase just kind of stood out to me mm-hmm. in verse three, where he asked him, "Are you not walking like mere men? Would you would you say that he is there? He's contrasting uh, walking by the Spirit. Is, is would that be implied in that particular text because of their behavior?" That like he's, he's saying you're you're walking like mere men instead of walking in the spirit and, and treating these men as they should be treated, like you Absolutely. said, as mere servants. Absolutely. I, and I, I think even in its historical, it's definitely that. And, and even in its historical context, they're walking like the men who were no different. You know, the, the philosophical sages who had followers and uh, they're really so they're not only walking like men in terms of the flesh compared to, uh, to walking in the spirit. That's certainly true, but they're walking in the ways of the world system around them as well, that they're identifying with all the things that the Lord has essentially and, and supposedly saved them from if indeed they live those things out. And so they were identifying with their flesh. And to do so, you have to think very earthly. You have to walk as a man who's not been saved by the grace of God. So certainly it has that element where men here could be synonymously understood as one who's in the flesh. Yeah. I actually remember reading uh, some background about those times, how they had 
philosophers with standing, you know, lined up next to each other. Oh yeah. And they're just spouting their rhetoric and they're trying to razzle and dazzle mm-hmm. everybody with their eloquence and trying to draw people to them, but not only draw people to them, but draw other people away from the other guys by ridiculing <laughs> them and pointing yep. fingers at them and, and yep. saying all kind of demeaning things toward these other guys so they can get more followers. I mean, Absolutely. is that not what happens today in, in modern evangelicalism? I, w- I would say absolutely. I-, I would say that that is, in fact, that's, you know, that's the makeup. Um, and it's like I said, I mean, I, you know, do the men who are doing this, do they intend for it to be that way? Um, I'm sure some do, and I'm sure some don't. I think, as, a, as we said the last time we were together, as much as we're making a case that this isn't the way to go biblically, I think a lot of people would agree with that. But I think the role of the individual who is in this position is to constantly and consistently deflect praise away from himself and toward God. Mm-hmm. You know, so the more influential an individual becomes because it's as much of a trap as it is to be hated. Uh, and they're both used for the same purpose, as we've said uh, in the last uh, podcast together. But the role is not to just sit back and allow it to happen and pretend, no, you know, take a kind of, um, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, almost almost deprecating, self-deprecating humor where, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I, I, I didn't order this. I'm just <laughs> a humble individual from, you know, fill in the blank what town you're from. And, you know, the people love me, but I, I, I didn't sign up for this. I just, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. That's not enough. You have to tell individuals, stop worshiping man. Don't worship me. Worship Christ. Love him. When people say great sermon, you say glory to God. Praise God. You know, I tell people that because I love them. You know, if, if, if people say that they have thought that you have, they thought that you have done something well for, for the Lord, then that praise belongs to him because he's given you the gift to do what you did. And so I don't think that that is a cultural faux pas. I don't think that that's condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that actually certainly works in the direction of keeping yourself and the people around you humble uh, when you actively deflect praise away from yourself and say, praise God, this, this is him. He's doing, he's doing this. He's doing this in me and he's doing this in you. And it's not uh, so much that, you know, it's not that I, well, I've been in ministry for 25 years and you know, when guys start to do all the biography stuff, it's like, no, 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 no. How can you expect then? the people to actually not worship you for what you're doing. If they're all always hearing about what you've done. Um, and so that, that is, I believe where Paul's going, because if anyone really could brag and say, time out, the faction to which you should be belong is Paul's. Paul could make a case probably stronger than everyone here, except Christ. This is true. And so, but he says, no, no, no. All of us are servants of Christ. And so, um, but yeah, I believe there is a sense in which men is men is used here as not simply walking as individuals amongst each other, but uh, walking in the flesh in a very wicked, uh, uh, wicked way. Again, there was jealousy and strife. They were walking like the men of the world. Mm-hmm. That's unbefitting of those who have been saved. Uh, and it was not so much because uh, that was an issue with some kind of PR campaign that would have ruined this these factions. It was you're walking in the flesh. It's a matter of life and death. You're walking as though what Christ has accomplished has not been accomplished on your behalf. 
and then you're disparaging that testimony by despising other individuals who are created in his image. Like you said, the philosophical uh, competition uh, between one another, who's smarter, who's wiser, who's more influential. Uh, you know, all those things are, are happening today. I, I know they're happening in charismaticism. I know they're happening in Buddhism, Islam, uh, Roman Catholic. They're happening in all those places, but they're, they're happening in modern evangelicalism where people are saying we're conservative in the sense of uh, we have we hold to a certain orthodoxy and we're also those who are representing Christ in a way that the world around us isn't. And they're proliferating this at a higher rate than anyone that I believe is out there because I've been a part of the other movements uh, such as Word of Faith and all those other things where they do this without batting an eyelash. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> Not even a thought. <laughs> but ult ultimately, uh, the, the the major point to drive home here is in verse seven. It's God who causes the growth. Absolutely. And it made me think of that. I had to look down at my, at, at my Bible again, because you were talking about PR, you know, all this marketing and all this management and all of this, you know, set this conference up and this, get these flyers out and these, you know, have this lineup of speakers and maybe the yeah. people will come. And, and it's, it's like, why? I mean, of course, they'll tell you the reason they're doing it is to glorify God. But ultimately, they're forgetting the fact that it's God who gives them growth. Absolutely. Because if they understood that it's God that gives growth, then they wouldn't be trying to do all of these extra things as if God himself is insufficient right. and he, he needs our help. He doesn't need our help. He does not. God, God will draw whom, whom he decides to draw. We just need to be faithful to whatever it is that God has tasked us to, which is verse six. I planted Paul. Paul did the planting. Apollos did the watering. They, like we talked about, they stayed in their lane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, yep. because they understood that ultimately it's not about Paul planting and Apollos watering because again, back in verse five, Paul clearly says, we're just servants, right? We are dependent upon God. I could plant all day and Apollos could water all day. But if God is not actively uh, creating this growth, then right. it's all for naught. And, and, and that's, that's so important that you said that. I mean, because it's funny because even in verse eight, he says they're one, oh, that yeah. those individuals are, they're one in the same. So, you know, the person who has planted certainly cannot make his boast nor receive the praise and worship as, uh, of others as, you know, you're the founder of some great act or great ministry or great movement that took place in the annals of church history. Um, as if that validates your standing before God, when the, per the person who came along after you and watered is just as significant in God's economy as the one who, who initially planted. But it's God who gives the growth, as you said, and that's agricultural language. And God, who also this is a very Christianity is a very intimate and personal conviction. Mm -hmm. And I say that because of the fact that men are rewarded for what they do for God, but those rewards are individual mm -hmm. uh, rewards, and that's what Paul says. He says it in uh, verse eight. But each each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
So all this hiding in each other and trying to tie myself to you because I just know that that means upward mobility or that might legitimize me. And it's why there's so much shiftlessness in modern evangelicalism because people are trying to attach themselves to men and you can't remain consistent and founded um, and founded on a, a, a sure foundation that is Christ. Uh, if you're constantly tying yourself because that individual may die, he, he may apostatize, he, he may he may do things to which you don't agree with, but yet you've attached yourself to him. And so you have to go where he goes. You have to go where his movement goes. And so, you know, and people are probably, they may or may not listen to this and go, who are they talking about? My answer would be, if the shoe fits, Whoever you're thinking we're talking about, that's probably who we're talking about, because I believe yeah. that this is going on. Uh, this is going on across the board. Mm -hmm. And and even if individuals would like to, uh, you know, form some uh, expositional argument against what we're saying today, they really have to look in the mirror and say, am I doing this or am I a part of this? I mean, that's the first question you should ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But they're so far gone. It's now got to be the last question. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, and so, but yeah, I, I, I believe that this is working toward the fact that Christ is a foundation. That's where the text goes. And I think people say that, I don't think they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's, that's the issue that, you know, I think the same individuals who are probably uh, guilty of these things would look at this text and preach it, you know, pretty straight to the vest, so to speak. But I think as they, look at how they're functioning in the circles they're in, they wouldn't practice this. Hmm. Wouldn't practice this. Yeah. Um, uh, one last thing before we go to, what was it? Acts 10. Yeah. Um, you talk about the hiding, you know, uh, another thing that that hiding does for these people that uh, fawn all over these celebrity pastors and preachers and teachers is it makes them lazy. Absolutely. You know, it makes them, they think that their secondhand convictions based off of their favorite preachers and teachers is enough. Absolutely. And it's not. I always tell, you know, my, my group, my community group. And when I teach on Sundays, I always tell them, you need to go back and study this for yourself. Yes. Don't, don't just hang on every word that I'm saying, you know, cause I could be wrong. Yep. You know, it, it, I'm I'm not uh you know some as you say super apostle. <laughs> right, right. You know uh, I'm not some super preacher super teacher. You know, I just I I study the word and, and God God is the one who called me to teach his word, and preach his word to to his people and that's what I do. But I'm I'm just a man. Right. We all fall under the scrutiny right. of God's word, the the measurement, uh, the fact that we have to say what aligns with the truth and we have to do what aligns with the truth. And so that, that, and when you're not doing that, you have to alter course, even if it means that you lose some of the privileges of doing it the way you were doing it before. Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely. I mean, I think, and I think that's a constant warning that you have to, um, you know, cause again, whenever you're critiquing something, I think it's helpful to explain to people, well, what's the solution? What's the alternative then? You know, there's several critiques out there. There's people who do critiques of the word faith movement and they just critique it all the, all day long. And, and there's people who critique other things, uh, but they're not telling you, well, here's the alternative action you need to take. Mm -hmm. Instead, what they do is they tell you that's wrong. 
and they send you in the direction of something that is just like it, but doesn't necessarily do all the things that that thing does. <laughs> and, and, and I don't think that that's how you help people. I think you tell people we all need to come under the word's authority, both in uh, action and in proclamation, as, mm-hmm. as, as you've said. Um, but yeah, moving, moving on even to acts, you see kind of what we've been discussing with, with, uh, with celebrity, mm-hmm. uh, with this evangelical celebrity mindset. Um, you see that it takes place in such a way uh, even toward the apostles, but you see at every turn that it happens that they vigorously fight against it. Uh, that they, and, and so I believe it was Acts 10. It was Acts 10, yeah. right? Acts 10, 26. Um, and uh, there, and we're, we're kind of going back and forth on it. That's all right. It's, this is, you know, Peter, Peter, when he went to Caesarea. Yes. And, uh, it was uh, Cornelius. He's dealing with Cornelius. Absolutely. Just to give them an idea before you read. Absolutely. And so one of the one of the key things with this passage is what was about to take place. And I believe that this was a test toward Peter. And I believe that he certainly passed the test. Um, but Peter was about to relay uh, to the Gentiles the vision that was uh, uh, Cornelius's vision. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, let, let me pick up in verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he seen might be, uh, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. But get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for, which is the reason for which you have come. Uh, What is the reason for which you have come? It's a question. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And then we get to kind of where we are in the context, uh, starting at verse uh, the, uh, verse 23, the second portion of it. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Look at what happens next. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Yeah. And But Peter raised him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am just a man. <laughs> Sorry, Roman Catholicism. <laughs> Peter here demonstrates that he is not the first vicar of Christ. He's not the first pope, but I'm also uh, sorry, but not sorry to modern evangelicalism, because what Peter does here is at a very key moment where he could have stood before the people and exalted himself mm-hmm. above his peers. He decided not to do so. And he did so because he was born again. He decided all the worship and honor and glory goes to Christ. And some might say, well, you know, uh, what, did that word really mean worship? Yes, it meant worship. That the people were willing to throw themselves before Peter because of his influence and because of the information that he was going to bring before them. 
And it's pivotal because at this point in that particular narrative, um, in that historical narrative, Peter was either going to see to it that the church was established and founded upon himself. And that answers mm-hmm. the question about what is the rock? Uh, because that's what Jesus says. The rock is the confession. It's not Peter. If the rock were Peter, then Peter would have said, yes, this is true of me. I am, I am the foundation of the church. Right. But he's not. He's going to the Gentiles to show them that Christ is. And so he had the, had the man uh, stand up. Uh, he had Cornelius stand up. And, and Cornelius here is not a devilish man. I mean, he's not, he's not someone who's, you know, uh, Janice and Jambres. He's not, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not, he's not Serenthius. Right. Cornelius. He's a God-fearing Jew and he's a centurion. Um, he's a God-fearing man among the Jews in a centurion, uh, a righteous man in a sense, uh, who, who certainly embraces the apostle Peter, but he goes beyond what is allowable before God. Mm-hmm. And uh, my point in saying that as it is, is many people would say what they do in the annals of uh, commending beyond what is favorable and commendable in the eyes of God. But many people would worship the celebrities as they do and think they're giving honor to them as if there's some fine line between the two. And there is not a fine line. Honor is always in the scripture. And we'll get to that text too, because that's in Romans 13. Uh, there's two ways in which honor is given uh, between individuals. And typically, it's honor from one person to rulers, government officials. That's what Romans 13 is actually speaking of. Government officials, uh, those who are in power, those who rule, and those who rule well. Um, among people, among individuals, when it, when it talks about Christians, it's always mutual. So when there's honor given, it's I honor you and you honor me. It's not one way. It's not, you know, I, I begin to honor you and you bask in it. And then now, now I'm subjecting myself to you. Mm-hmm. And yet there's nothing coming back to me that says, well, brother, you're honorable as well because of your position. But it's kind of this one way street of both flattery and praise and adoration for an individual. The Bible doesn't teach that as honor among Christians. Uh, that honor is always, and even in Corinthians, when Paul talks about how we ought to regard one another in the body, that again, we, and we talked about it before, the lesser members are built up. Those who perhaps don't have the eloquence and don't have the look, quote unquote, the, the appearance, the more showy gifts, those are the ones uh, who, who, are, uh, who are exalted in terms of uh, before the eyes of God and in that Love for them is expressed more so than those who are out in front all of the time. And I mean, that's, you know, paraphrasing that, that idea in Corinthians, uh, but that's, but that's the way it's supposed to look. And what Peter did was he rescued Cornelius and quite frankly, uh, you know, from a human level, he rescued the future of the church uh, because had he received that worship, now you have Gentiles who are confused as to who really is in charge here. Yeah, I was I was going to actually ask you about to contrast between, you know, because these guys, these fans, because I mean, that's basically what they are. These fans would say, you know, well, I'm just showing honor where honor is due. Yeah. And I was going to ask you to explain it, the the or show us how easy it is to cross the line between honor and idolatry. Yeah. 
one one way one way to understand honor is that it's it's deference it's it's what we would call a common courtesy a, a certain respect um honor can be used in a way that is reverential uh but it but it's never reverential in a way where it surpasses the glory due Jesus Christ uh that's that's one way to understand another way is if it's deferential then it is mutual because and by that i mean if I'm honoring you, then you're also honoring me. So it's not just I'm receiving honor because I've done this. I've put in the labor. I built this church. I've been here 30 years. I do all the conference circuit. I've authored 200 books, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about you. It's about the mutual edification aspect of what it looks like to honor one another. Because in honoring one another, we're faced with a world that thinks we're fools. And so it really is you're building up one another in this honoring one another. It's why, um, you know, even the scripture talks about rejoicing uh, with one another. Rejoice when, uh, with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, that, that is what true honor looks like. It's that I am uh, certainly paying deference to you above myself, not devaluing myself to a position of subjugation. But but I'm honoring you in the sense that you 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 do reciprocate that. That's not my motive, but you reciprocate that because we we're of the same spirit, and so that's that's what it looks like to really honor uh, an individual. That it's it's returned with these individuals who would make that case for it. They don't return it. They don't even know who you are. <laughs> so you're 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 promoting them, and they don't even have time to answer your questions, and they will in the Q and A. Uh, an anonymous situation, but they really don't know who you are. And when they're thanking you for what you do, it's about as generic as it gets. They're mm -hmm. sending that thank you letter to 300 people with a stamp signature. But it's not, that's not the honor the Bible teaches. That's why I say Christ, Christ, true Christianity is very intimate. It's very personal. It's very personal. You know, the, the even these apostles, the reason that this stuff is happening to the apostles is because look at where they are. They're walking among the people. So the they're, they're influencing the people where they are, and the people are responding in different ways toward them, be it sinful at times and be, and be it uh, in ways that bless them. And Paul writes about that all throughout the New Testament, but it's very personal. Uh, well, 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 Paul wrote letters, yeah, but Paul was in prison too. So he was, his movements were restricted right. and confined <laughs> right. in certain aspects as well. And even then he longed to be with the people and among them. Yeah. Maybe a passage I did or didn't bring up, even when Peter speaks of himself, he speaks of himself as uh, to the church of Rome in first Peter. Maybe you can help me, help me find it. Cause I don't think I wrote it down, but when he refers to himself as a fellow elder, you know, one who is wow. an elder amongst elders. And I believe it's in his introduction in the epistle, but I certainly could be wrong about his placement. Um, but, but he speaks of himself as a, as a, as a fellow elder. Um, so there again, you, you, you would expect Peter to say, uh, you know, I'm the man I, I was with Jesus. Uh, you know, yeah, I denied him, but let's not talk about that part of history. I preach him. And so you all should pay deference to me. And, and Peter never does that. Uh, he stops people very clearly in their tracks from worshiping him. Paul does the same. I think I might've, uh, I might've given it to you, but I know he does it with regard to what takes place. Um, yeah, I know this the one passage. The slave I know, girl. Yeah, well, there's one where Peter Peter speaks of 
he calls himself fellow elder in first Peter chapter five. Yes. There you go. Yeah. He says, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness. There it is. And witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. No, he said allotted to your charge, <laughs> but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Absolutely. So. I mean, so, I mean, even there, it's always, <laughs> you know, it's always placing themselves among the people, not to gain anything from the people, because he says it there. I'm, I'm, I, and I, I believe he's not only he's not only referring to his function, he's referring to what he's saying. Paul mm-hmm. always seems to do that in his epistles. He doesn't necessarily just tell you what he's saying. He's telling you why he's saying it. And I, I think that's a good habit to make us as, 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 you know, as a servant of the Lord, that you have to tell people why you're saying what you're saying. It's not just, you know, oh, gee, you know, I'm just a servant of the Lord who's been doing this a long time. And, and yet the people are worshiping you and you're pretending you don't know that that's happening. It's you should tell people why I'm saying what I'm saying. And, and that's, right. what, that's what they do. And, and, and the, 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 one of the goals of that is to deflect praise away from yourself to God. That's that's yeah. one of the goals, and you see that um, even in I believe it's it happens a couple times, and my memory's escaping me on one of them. But I believe it's in Acts. Uh, I believe it's in Acts. Is it, are you thinking about fourteen? I think I'm thinking about fourteen because yes. that's the one I had on my mind, and I had to. Yes, they begin calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Right, that's Hermes. I, I was trying to this <laughs> yeah. whole time. I was like, where is that passage at? Yes. That's and what's it. funny is they, they flatter them one moment and then want to kill them the next because they don't respond well to the flatter. Right. But 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 even there, I mean, you see that, you know, the people want to elevate, you mm-hmm. know, Paul and Barnabas. So this this and is nothing new. It's nothing new. It's <laughs> nothing new. So even to pretend as though what we're saying, oh, that never happens. Uh, to pretend that that's the case or to say that's certainly not happening around me because my motive is X, Y, and Z. Well, look around you and see if others are doing that, but then look around and see how often does the person you pay this quote unquote homage to deflect that homage away from themselves. Yeah. I mean, openly, almost to the point where you see it here, because look at the reaction in verse 14 of chapter 14 in Acts. Mm-hmm. Look at how Paul and Barnabas respond. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it. And this was all the things, you know, what happens in verse 13 uh, after this uh, fleshly ex- uh, exaltation. The mm-hmm. priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. They were about to treat these men like gods. Right. And, and look what they do in verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes. And rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Let me tell you, this is not an occasion for an anniversary ceremony. It's not an occasion for the uh, for a, commemor- a, a commemorating conference 
situation. In fact, when people begin to worship and rest and hide in your person and unduly flatter you, it is a gospel preaching opportunity. And that's what we see in the text because that's how Paul and Barnabas handled it. So I'm constrained to how the apostles of which I hold to the apostolic doctrine, I'm constrained to how they handle these things that uh, when, when, when individuals tried to exalt them, even to the extreme of what we see here, uh, be it subtle or extreme because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, um, you know, even be it extreme in this case, this tearing their robes that that's, you know, you and I know, and, and, Many people who may listen to this know in the Old Testament, it's a big deal when someone begins to tear their robe. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal when uh, I believe it was Caiaphas tore his robe uh, in, the, in, the, in the mock trial of Jesus Christ. It's a big deal when someone does it. That's a display of, uh, of, of complete disagreement. Right. <laughs> that we're not even on the same page or complete sorrow. It's like uh, utter disgust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, so you you see that even in this text, and that's how the that's how the individuals responded uh, to that. And am I saying that that's how men should respond today? Yes, yes, I heartily say yes. You should respond that way when people exalt you. If your platform is as vast as the eye can see, and if anyone out there is exalting you beyond measure, you should go and run them down to tell them, please do not do that. Please worship Christ. That's a part of your ministry responsibility if that's happening to you. Right. So, um, so again, that is, that is essentially what you see, uh, what you see here. Um, yeah. So for the, the sake of time, let's just hit up this, this last one that you have listed as the finale. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. The final, uh, the final Matthew, conclusion. Matthew 23. Absolutely. And then we'll, you know, try to tie it all together and then we'll, and as I'm flipping there, um, in Matthew 23, it's a well-known verse. I'm actually, I'm actually preaching the beginning of it next week. So I, I, won't, I won't read through it just for the sake of time. But know mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, for those listening, you can read through the entire uh, portion of Matthew 23 and come to some pretty stinging conclusions about how Jesus, uh, how Jesus approaches the, the false, uh, the false um, pretense of the, of the Pharisees. But I wanted to say as I'm looking for it, um, you know, you even see it among in Revelation. You see uh, even the angels, uh, the holy angels are not to receive any form mm -hmm. of this. And so they deflect it even when John, uh, the apostle, is uh, is guilty of, of condescending in that direction. So yeah, that's the Revelation 19. That's Revelation right. 19. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, but Matthew 23, let's look at Matthew 23. And essentially. And if you have some questions about it, Chris, feel, feel free to throw throw them at me. Mm -hmm. um, but in Matthew 23, it's, it's, you know, it's essentially that Jesus is dealing with a religious establishment who are lovers of money, lovers of prestige. They love being honored among men. Mm. Uh, they're oppressive in that way. And they certainly hold sway because he's talking to the Pharisees. They certainly hold sway in the temple life at that time over the multitudes of people. And so Jesus had already exhausted what he had to say to them directly in the previous context, but he's dealing with them uh, before the crowds and before his disciples. And the way he treats them for what they're guilty of is like any other regime that, uh, any other governmental regime that would essentially see itself as a paternal figure uh, above the people. 
And so that's why he says what he says in verse three about them. Uh, Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. That's not commending them for anything or any attachment they have to do uh, with, uh, with the living Christ. In fact, this passage is leading toward curses that he's about to mm-hmm. um, give them. But he says, but do not do according to their deeds. Do not do according to their deeds. They're saying right things, but they're not doing. That's what he says. For they say things and do not do them. And then he just goes he goes down the list of the things that make for their antagonism and desire to do murder uh, against the son of God himself, but also what sets them in opposition towards his kingdom, because that is the theme of Matthew's gospel. Uh, but he just, he shows some of the things. And I think if you look at, you know, if you look at kind of what's taking place in verse four or five, and you just go down to six and seven, you'll start to see that, much of what modern evangelicalism elevates and promotes is what Jesus was about to curse uh, from the vantage point of our text. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look at verse 10. I mean, it's plain and clear. Do not be called leaders for one is your leader. That is Christ. Absolutely. I mean, he, Jesus even goes that far. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And the way, and the way in which these terms are used because some might say, oh, okay, come on. You know, those who are looking for a loophole, oh, come right, on. He, right. He's mentioning father here. I, I have a father. I have a dad. Yeah, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about when we use terms in such a way so as to elevate men beyond the throne of grace. Right. Uh, so that, and these individuals are being called, and you see it, yes, you see it said in Roman Catholicism where people are called father this and father that. But more than that, you see it in modern evangelicalism. And yes, judgment begins with the so-called house of God. So that's where mm-hmm. we're always going to start, where people might not call each other father this and father that, uh, but they certainly say spiritual fathers and not using it the way that Paul did, because Paul didn't use it in a sinful way when he said what he said about Timothy. Mm-hmm. Because Timothy was in a place where Timothy was serving the Lord in a very, very effective way. But it's this paying homage uh, almost endowing the person with with divine affirmation, divine and eternal affirmation. Verse eight, calling them rabbi. You know, one is your teacher. It's it's what we would say in the academic sense. It's par excellence, uh, where where you're you're saying these things about individuals. And and in verse eight, Jesus puts stop to it because he says, "You are all brothers." Right. Why are you treating each other this? You're all brothers. Mm-hmm. If indeed that's true. You're, you're, there, there's no hierarchy as it relates to uh, the body of Christ. Right. Uh, what about those elders that rule, um, you know, that rule um, in a sense of over one another? Yeah, but there's mutual accountability. There's no such thing as a dictatorship and a black budget and a black site uh, eldership. It's <laughs> if you're an elder, then you are certainly um, one who must serve well. And yes, you are one. Uh, with whom you're, you're, you have the stewardship of, of God's people being entrusted to you, but you are just as much as entrusted to them. And so there's that mutual, uh, that mutual accountability that, uh, that's established on the foundation of God's word and his truth and sound doctrine. All right. Well, I think that pretty much, I think we were pretty thorough there. That's a wrap. Um, Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were pretty thorough there. Um, so. I mean, in closing, uh, I would just 
because I, because you know, what was on my mind and the reason why this, I wanted to continue this is because there are so many pastors, leaders, not in the sense that we were just talking about in verse 10, but yeah, people that God has entrusted to care for his flock. Yeah. Um, and they're discouraged because of this celebrity culture. They're discouraged because they get kind of sucked into it a little bit, even though they, they may not admit it, but they're looking at how come I only have 50 people yeah. at my church and so-and-so has like 2000. It's like, am I, and then they start to think, well, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I not preaching right? Do I need to change? And some of them even get to the point where they change their personality. They change their preaching yeah, style. Right. They right. change their teaching style. They start to parrot these guys in the hopes of maybe drawing more people in so that they can somehow feel better about themselves. That's Just, a good point. You, you don't, you don't need to do that. Right. All you need to do. And if you ever run into me and Duran or Eric or, or Mike or Matt, we're just going to tell, we're all going to tell you the same thing. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Just stay faithful and trust Christ. Absolutely. Be grateful. I mean, <laughs> be grateful that he that he even thought about you enough to give you 50 <laughs> right right with with right. your still in some ways sinful actions at times and your sinful yeah. thoughts at times and, sin- and he said okay I, but i'm going to entrust you with the you take care of those 50 right. and stop worrying about whether god's going to send you more or if you're ever going to be like this, or you're ever going to be called to a conference, I, you shouldn't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's like you said, in, in, in wrapping all these things up, I, I would, I would tell, I would tell those brothers that, um, you know, the summation of what the Bible teaches about men who labor, which is why uh, it is an exclusive group in the sense that the warning is be not many teachers. Um, not exclusive because we're somehow over and above anyone. Uh, but I, I say that, that the labor is its own reward uh, in that sense, but then you'll be rewarded for your labor. So it's not the influence. Uh, you know, if I could plead with the brothers uh, and even the sisters who may be ministering in the context of other uh, sisters and other things like that, I would tell them that the encouragement lies not in being influential. Uh, it's the labor itself that God has called you to, that you're to sharpen that. You're to grow in the knowledge of grace. That's, that's the reward uh, in the sense of you're, you're, you're following, you know, what God has commanded you to do and that he even gave you a heart to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you ought to be humbled and thankful and encouraged. And I get it. I, you know, there are seasons of discouragement. That's, that's, we we can't even sit here, you and I, and pretend that that doesn't take right. to, take well, take hold of times. I've been burned out many times. <laughs> but but you know, but the <laughs> but the the issue is, I believe that it's when people begin to look at their influence, mm. and and your influence is not something you can even measure. You know, it's it's you don't know how many people you're impacting, and oftentimes because you are despised in this world, uh, the Lord's not going to show that to you. Uh, he's going to let you deal with those features of, of serving him that keep you humble. And so, um, so I would say, look to your labor in Christ and how it ties you to him and don't look to your influence because the influence is a very fleeting thing. 
because you're preaching in season and out of season. And right now we're pretty much out of season. Yeah. And so influence is a very relative thing. All right. God bless you, my friend. That is our final word for this episode. Uh, As I said, uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, as I stated earlier, the next podcast, uh, we'll be starting our discussion. It's probably going to be more than one part, I'm sure. But we'll be starting our discussion on Black liberation theology and the damage that uh, it has caused, not only in the church, but in society as a whole. Um, So you all be blessed, be edified. We will uh, pray for you all that listen, that you will be uh, richly encouraged and strengthened and even convicted uh, in in some ways. Uh, And we hope that uh, the Holy Spirit continues to lead you into all truth and that you continue to look to Christ, who is our one true Savior, who is our true leader, <laughs> our true shepherd, as you uh, continue in your endeavors. And to you, to you small, I don't even like the word small, but to you, the smaller church pastors, just stay encouraged, man. Be strengthened uh, to, the, to the ladies as well, as Deron mentioned, who are ministering to other women. Uh, you all just stay encouraged to continue to be faithful in your labors. Uh, you may not see uh, a reward in this life, but if you continue to store up treasures in heaven, you will see them uh, uh, for eternity. So just continue to be encouraged and be strengthened. We thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Train of Thought a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute.